0: So we started last week by doing an introduction to where we're going next, which is just, I think it's about five weeks or something like that. Six weeks of looking at characteristics of Jesus. So this week we are opening with uh, part one, which is, I mean, if we wanted to look at the characteristics of Jesus in detail, we could spend... Six, twelve months <laughs> quite easily gradually unpacking all those things and we might not still do it justice so what we've done is we've lumped together um lots of similar um, elements of his character and i'm just going to try and look at them uh, in a different way and, and attach them to a particular story um uh, in jesus's kind of life and his ministry that really shows that stuff so today we're looking at part one which is um uh, the the kind of the elements of Jesus that we would describe as gentle, kind and compassionate. And those three words for me, when we look at them, gentle, kind, compassionate, when we experience those three words in normal life, in anyone that we meet, if we meet anyone who we feel is gentle, is kind or compassionate or all three or just maybe two out of the three, it changes things for us when we encounter someone who who exudes those characteristics. Um, We often feel, in that moment, we feel cared for. We feel loved. We feel accepted. We feel welcomed. We feel understood, which to me is the absolute gold of this thing. When when someone is genuinely gentle, kind and compassionate, there's this warmth and lightness that comes from that connection and that relationship. And I, I would say we often end up feeling like we we require that connection at various points in our lives in almost to, in almost to feel better about ourselves, that we've, we've encountered someone who just makes us feel like that. Interestingly, though, if we think about times in our lives where we've had a lack of those things, the opposite then applies for us. So when we experience people who clearly aren't gentle, kind or compassionate, um, then what it does to our, to our feelings about that relationship and about that connection and often about ourselves is it, is it can bring up emotions of feeling rejected, uh, maybe feeling judged. Um, and sometimes uh, we get this general sense of feeling quite vulnerable. When you've been compromised in that way and someone's made you not feel that they're bringing gentleness, kindness and compassion to the table... We can, we can almost sometimes be fearful or, or, or kind of um, anxious about walking into those kind of scenarios. So we can see that actually we can feel like that, but we've also got to understand that when we walk into any situation, we have the power um, to build up or tear down people, depending on how we approach those different situations. So, so those three words are, are powerful words, gentleness, kindness and compassion. If these are are a banner over who we are, then it begins to change um, what we bring into a situation. So when we look at the person of Jesus, this is where those words begin to come to life. That gentleness, kindness, compassion in the person of Jesus is probably the embodiment of those three words. Everything that we'd want to know and feel about those words is seen in the way that he operated generally and the way he dealt with people his approach to um, all sorts of people in society Uh, and there's so many examples of him living them out whether it's looking at Jesus encountering the Samaritan woman at the well um, just, just the fact that he would spend time talking to someone asking her to get him a drink from the well. The fact that he would even have a dialogue with a Samaritan woman was was off the scale of of being acceptable in society, but he would always challenge um, the status quo and and the norm because he wanted to um, do something different. I I love the story of of Zacchaeus. As a child, it's made into something that... (laughs) is very like soft and sort of bless him he was just a small guy who couldn't <laughs> see so he had to climb a tree it's so much more complex than that that he was hated by um by the people in the town and the romans he was the middleman who would play everyone off against each other so he was probably the most despised person in that town because he wasn't acceptable or a friend to either parties but was, was kind of raking all of this cash in. And for Jesus to stand with someone who was classed as the lowest of the low and someone who no one would have any time or respect for, um, it kind of flies in the face of everything that we think sometimes justice looks like. Um, and, and actually he would just step in and, and model something that was just completely different to what we'd known. Mary and Martha, when um, Lazarus dies, his friend Lazarus, um, the, the way he um, connects with them and mourns with them and is, and is loving them and caring for them is another model of, of him being that person we, 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 we've come to know and love. And One of the greatest things is any of the healings that Jesus does is, is marked by gentleness, kindness and compassion that he has compassion in the first place to go and step in and want to change that scenario. But his method and the way he conducts himself is, is gentle and kind in those ways. We all know there's times where he, he can stand up and, and flip the tables over in the temple because that's what was required. But we can't say that that means, oh well, he's not really gentle and kind and compassionate. As he. Of course he is, but, but it's about appropriate response to whatever is going on in front of you. And there's, there's so many others we could look at that would begin to make us realise that his way of operating was was pretty revolutionary and, and pretty amazing. And when we look at his personality, his, think about his personality, he's described often as the Prince of Peace. And I, I don't know about you, but when we think about movers and shakers in society, the, 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 the term Prince of Peace often doesn't really um, come up as as one of the main things, that the revolutionary side of people would mean there's some kind of um, whipping up people into a frenzy or or amassing an army of people, all these kind of things. Um, Jesus was very much um, the Prince of Peace, a non-violent, peaceful revolutionary. And that's the thing for me that stands out above so much of, of who he was. That given the opportunity, imagine being Jesus having crowds flocking to hear what you've got to say the opportunity for him there to whip up that crowd um almost um into uh, to incite mob rule to be able to make changes and influence society that would have been the biggest temptation as everyone was standing waiting on his every word he could have used those times to just push people forward and say actually now we 're going to go and storm storm the gates we 're going to do this we 're going, going to get our placards out and we 're going to campaign against the local um, the, the local establishment. He could have done that like he, he had thousands of people wanting to hear what he had to say, but he didn 't because he was a peaceful revolutionary who wanted to do um, it in a different way, and I think that 's the stuff that that often is the more subtle things mm. of of gentle kind and compassionate characteristics that we can begin to take on it's not just about saying how can we be nicer to everyone but there's times where when difficult things have got to be said and done how can we be the people who stand up and say it with gentleness kindness respect and compassion Um, and there's this one story that i want us to focus on for the rest of our time that i think Um, really shows us this and there's two there's two different angles we're going to look at the meaning both of them one of them is is the common meaning and one of them is something I discovered in a book that's really um, blown my mind on the story and the story is um, in John 8 um, verses 1 to 11 it's the woman caught in adultery Uh, it's a famous story Um, and I'm just going to read it um, and then we'll, uh, we'll look at what the, the kind of most normal, usual meaning is that we have. So this is where it says, um, verse eight, um, uh, sorry, verse 1 uh, in chapter 8. At dawn, it's talking about Jesus, at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin so it's a story that we've we 've all heard before and is and is a powerful message of how Jesus navigates a tricky scenario but manages to make us think differently about the person who is in the t- in the moment in the wrong um, and actually we 've got to see that that the way he deals with that stuff has to challenge and has to change our response to those kind of things um, and I think this story is often interpreted as an example of compassion, of Jesus showing compassion to this woman who's been um, done something wrong, but is, is kind of dragged in front of, of the religious leaders of the day, who are who are outlining the law and how she's overstepped the mark, um, and and what Jesus does, his reaction is is it's a great lesson uh, in being less judgmental. And those without sin cast the first stone. So if you feel confident in the fact that you haven't done anything wrong, then you be the first. And that's possibly one of the greatest lines of of levelling our own attitude that we could ever have heard from Jesus. That those without sin cast the first stone. Because it's easy for us to forget that in God's mind all sin actually is the same. And the problem is, in our lives, we go, yeah, 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 it's all, yeah, God's right, it's all the same. But, let's be honest, there are worse ones than others. <laughs> and and we, we always bring it back to our own thinking to go, yeah, but if I steal a penny sweet and then someone murders someone, you're not telling me it's the same. <laughs> um, but the reality is, it's, it's, all, uh, it's all stepping out of line. Um, and as much as we can say, I and mean, what we do know is the consequences of sin is different. Mm. For different things, and that's where we know it's there's, there's severe consequences for for major things, and and less, lesser consequences uh, for other things. So we know that that's the reality, but but the fact is, Jesus is is making it clear. Look, let's 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 be consistent about this. Let's be understand that actually we've all got suffered and, and if I'm really honest, I think my journey over the last couple of years is this realization that. That often in church circles we can get stuck in this trap of of presenting the best, of presenting ourselves as well well I will I'll present the best version of me to everyone. But the fact is, if any of our inner monologues were made audible, we would all be screwed. No matter your position in society, your position in leadership of the church, if our inner monologues were made audible to every single person who sits in front of a church congregation any church leader would be, would be under, under complete suspicion <laughs> because that's just the reality of what actually we, we process and internalise sometimes in our minds. We've all got it in us to think, think the wrong thing or think the worst in a scenario. Um, and if we're honest, like most people would recall, of if we're going to bring up um, someone's inner monologue on the screen next week and we're all going to read through it, we'd, most of us just wouldn't turn up because we'd be so panicked about what it would look like and how it would be and, and i think that's where we've got to be realistic about that and i suppose this is what jesus was saying look those without sin those who haven't done anything wrong then fine you get you get your rocks and you throw them um but but actually if you if you know that there's stuff in your life that could be um better then maybe we need to just put the rocks down so there's that clear point that When we look at that story, I suppose the message is we could all do with having more grace and throwing less stones, especially um, at those who've made mistakes. It's easy sometimes, I think, if we're honest with ourselves, there's that slightly sadistic part of, not all of us, but most of us, when someone you find irritating messes up, there is also this thing that rises up in, in you that goes, ha! bit of justice finally um, and actually it just goes to show we are there is flaws in all of us that that actually we could be we could have more grace we could throw less stones we could consider um sometimes the isolation that comes with with situations where people make mistakes and people suffer um, and actually when you realize that that there is isolation that's attached to to people who make mistakes maybe there's an opportunity there to do what Jesus did and get in the dust with this woman alongside her and stand with her when everyone else is against her and that's the beauty of that story and the reality is we could just stop there because there's enough in that story to say man there's loads for us to learn. Just from the, just the fact he chose to do that, he chose to step in and align himself with the woman who was, by the law of the land, in utter, utter wrong... Um, like she was caught in a, in a wrong act and, and was in trouble. And the, the punishment by the law was that she should be stoned to death because of what she did. And for Jesus to step in and put himself in the way of that was a powerful thing for us to realise, if that's his standard, then there's loads that we could learn. But, but what I've discovered recently is there is loads more going on in this story um, than we realise. Um, and what we're going to do is we're going to look into the background of what was going on in this scenario. So we've, we've, read, we've read that, that Jesus um, finds himself talking to people in the temple... Uh, and then this woman gets brought in. But, but the scenario that, that Jesus is in at the time is an interesting one. Um, the, the actual timing in the, in the Hebrew calendar when this takes place is uh, it's during a festival called the Festival of Tabernacles. And the Festival of Tabernacles is, is the seventh festival um, that uh, the Hebrew calendar has. It's the last one before winter. And and all these different festivals exist for different purposes, mainly to thank God for a good harvest, pray for the next harvest. And there's these seven different celebrations that people go through in the Hebrew calendar. Um, And this one, the Festival of Tabernacles, is the final one. It's an eight-day festival. and It's the final one um, before winter. So it's the one where... The Hebrews decide, actually, well, if we're going to survive, we need God to come through for us. So we need to pray for rain. We need to think about water and, and the life that that brings. And we need to, to learn about that, study that and ask God uh, to change um, that scenario. So it's the day that this happens. It talks about it in this passage. It says, on the last day of the festival... Um, There's a few things that happens just before it. Jesus ends up, whilst they're talking about water and learning about water, Jesus stands up in the middle um, and it says in a loud voice, he he asks this question. It's all about um, those who are thirsty, come to me. And he kind of throws this curveball in. You're talking about water all the time um, because you want to be sustained in your lives. But those who are eternally thirsty, come to me and I can... I can solve that. Now, he wasn't, it says there he wasn't going to go to the festival because he knew that he was under suspicion, he was under watch. But he, go, he turns up and he throws this line in there about, those who are thirsty uh, come to me. And the, this whole concept of being thirsty and needing water was on, was on the agenda. Mm-hmm. But he throws it in there as a, as a, oh, well, actually, guys, and he has to shout. And the reason he has to shout is because the, the festivities, the celebration, the merriment was at such a level that it was a lot, there was a lot of activity, there was a lot of fun, there was a lot of excitement, there was a lot of noise. So Jesus has to shout to get people's attention to listen to what he's going to say. And this happens just before this story. So it's the last day people had travelled to be at the, um, the, the feast um, because... It, it was the thing that they all did in their calendar. So people had travelled there, um, they were staying in makeshift tents because there wasn't enough places for them to stay. So there was all these random tents around which it, it talks in, um, in the book I've been reading about how for, for those guys it was like um, a bit of a throwback and a reminder of their time in the wilderness that they all hung out in these tents and it was almost like a bit of a homage to, to where, they'd, uh, where they'd come from. Um, So they travelled, they were staying in tents, there was celebration, there was merriment, there was lots and lots of wine. So this is the scenario of what's going on in this eight-day feast. And on the last day is where this story of the woman caught in adultery happens. But if we're honest, let's put all those factors together. Eight days of celebrating, merriment, people travelling. They're all staying in makeshift tents, drinking loads and loads of wine the fact that a woman is caught in the act of adultery, the suggestion would probably be that there was quite a lot of stuff going on where people were accidentally wandering into the wrong tent because the festivities were just carrying on. So the bizarre thing with this story is this woman is dragged out, having been caught in the act of adultery. There's some simple questions. What about the guy? He's not been been dragged in. Um, And also... Was, was there not pretty much a, a pretty loose culture going on as part of the festival because, um, because this is the kind of stuff that was happening? So when we look honestly at, at what, what was probably going on for eight days, I doubt that was one isolated incident where one person overstepped the mark mm-hmm. as suggestion that this was the festival. This was, this was just the way it was, it was going. So we can understand a little bit of what's going on and a little bit of the, the hypocrisy of the situation that this one woman is dragged out um, before Jesus. But what we then need to understand is that at the same time as this, Jesus has already stood up and proclaimed anyone who is thirsty come to me. Um, he's, he's under watch. He's under suspicion. And the religious leaders of the day are, are desperately trying to trap him and challenge him and criticise him every time he speaks because they're trying to find traps and, and ways that they can use the word against him um, and, and every time this is why he was reluctant to go to the feast in the first place because he knew that if he went they would try and, they'd try and trap him um, so there's this growing sense of fear about who he was and what he thought and what he was teaching people and I think it was probably a fear that they couldn't control this guy; that he was coming in with a different perspective, and was challenging them all the time as the religious leaders. Um, and and it's quite clear we, we read it in those eight verses that there's a campaign to trap him and to capture him, um, and this element of there being a constant challenge. If you read the verses before, it's all about people's discussion about well, who is he? What's he saying? Are you are you aligning yourself with him and? And it's general criticism. So it's not a simple scenario that this story is born into. It's one of quite a lot of challenge and difficulty. So if we reread the story with understanding that this is what's going on. It says, At dawn Jesus appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. He sat down to teach. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made a stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, of, in the law um, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Um, and let's, let's begin to unpack some of those elements that we hear in the story that may well give us some further meaning and a, a deeper understanding of what Jesus was doing. There's some key questions about that story when we pull back and go, OK, so what's, what's really going on? Firstly, what was he writing on the ground? So it talks about it twice, returns to the ground and writes in the dust. It's not general behaviour <laughs> that someone would ask us a question and we'd just start doodling in the ground. But he was write- what was he writing on the ground? Why did whatever he was writing on the ground cause the religious leaders to walk away? Because that's what it says in the story. Why did the older men walk away first? And why does the writer John decide to include these details in the story? Because if it was just a story about hey, he stood in for this woman who was about to be stoned to death, there's a lot of detail that doesn't need to be in the story, but there's a reason why it's there. And I, I, I must tell you, this stuff that I'm about to talk about isn't my. It doesn't come from my own thinking. I read um, Rob Bell's book. Uh, what about the Bible? Does some brilliant, um, I suppose, investigating into um, some of the details of uh different bible stories and some of the some of the things that were said and and the reason why they were said he's really unpicked it and and given us a lot more understanding of of stuff like what was going on in the festival what the festival was all about and and how everything worked and and the climate of the time the the culture of the time and and what jesus was encountering in that so those questions are really valid um um, but one of the key passages that they um, would study as part of the Festival of Tabernacles is one in Jeremiah. Um, and, it's, um, and it's a passage that talks about dust. Um, and, and I suppose the significance of why they look, look at it is the Festival of Tab- Tabernacles is all about water, all about asking God for water, asking God to sustain them, to provide for them. Um, but, but interestingly... Um, the passage that they look at in Jeremiah is all about dust, which dust is what you get when you don't have water. And here's a few lines of what they were teaching on, what they were unpacking um, in, um, in this book, in the, the book of Jeremiah. It says this, Lord, you are the hope of Israel. All who, fors- all who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust. So in the face of criticism and challenge, Jesus brings these guys that he's talking to, who are challenging him, he brings them right back to the very passage that they've been studying. He says, he doesn't even say anything, this is the bizarre thing, he just does this, he goes back to the dust twice, writes in the floor twice, because he's trying to link them really subtly but really clearly, Um, you've you've been learning about this, you've been reading about this um i'm just going to remind you of, of what the passage says so lord you are the hope of israel all who all who forsake you will be put to shame those who turn away from you will be written in the dust so in the face of criticism and challenge jesus brings them right back to that very passage i want to read a couple of extracts from this book um because it is uh, it's really interesting So he writes in the dust, he bends down and he writes in the dust. He takes one of the passages that they all would have been familiar with and he enacts it, all without saying a word. They've rejected him, but instead of saying it, he alludes through his actions to a verse that they were just teaching. Essentially implying that they, the concerned concerned religious leaders, are the ones who have turned away, not the woman. It goes on to say... The storyteller wants you to see that Jesus is confronting an entire entrenched power structure. These spiritual leaders were part of a temple institution that ruled the Jewish tribe. An institution that controlled politics and religion and economics and cultural life. And this institution had become corrupt in Jesus' day, which is why he confronts them. And what happens when people confront power structures what happens when people call out the powers that be that when those powers have lost the plot? Often the person gets killed. This is not just a nice story about how we should be less judgmental. This is about political and social resistance to anything that robs people of their dignity and honour. This is about the courage and tenacity of this rabbi to stand up and say, you're in the wrong. This is a story about Jesus writing on the ground, but it's also a hint of what's to come the man is going to get killed so suddenly that story that appears to be um just about jesus stepping in for um the victimized and the the condemned it suddenly takes on this massive um deeper meaning that in that moment where he's constantly being questioned criticized challenged um and um and and always under watch, he takes that moment to to floor that group of people. So as you watch in the story, the older ones are the first to walk away because the reality dawns on them. As he as he writes in the ground, is, is he writing their names? Maybe, but as he's writing in the ground, he is he is subtly retelling uh, the very nature of that Jeremiah passage. All who, all who forsake you, Lord. Will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust, without a word. The oldest walk away, mm. and gradually the others begin to follow suit because they realise that there is there's a depth and an understanding that whatever they do, they can't argue. So normally, what you'd expect is an argument, is is a dialogue, is is a discussion, is is um, is a debate about his understanding and their understanding but they just walked away because they had this realization that that actually maybe this guy is who he says he is and that's the power of of Jesus's response that that not only can he stand for the person who who by the law of the land should have lost her life that day not only can he stand in and and give her her life back but also um, he can challenge the the very structures that dictate what everyone should and shouldn't be doing. And to be honest, the more I look at the person of Jesus, the more I love the fact that he was so willing to challenge the society of the day. And the, the problem is, we sometimes we, we fail to realise that actually, most of the time, that was religious leaders. Um, that was challenging the, the the church of the time, and their attitudes and their perspectives... Um, and if uh, I think sometimes we, we fail to realise that Jesus probably spent more time challenging the religious leaders of the day than condemning people for the wrong things they did in their everyday lives, and that the sin that they were um, that they were breaking, and and it's quite a challenge to me to to realise that that was the stuff that was really important to him. So this story stands out. Not only is it an example of Jesus directly being gentle kind and compassionate to the woman in her scenario. It's a picture of how he could challenge systems and hierarchy in a gentle and kind way, a model of a complete peaceful revolutionary. It was so peaceful, it was so revolutionary in the way that he did that thing, but for everyone to walk away knowing deep down that he had a point meant that his point was clearly and, and effectively made. And so for us off the back of this, there's a couple of challenges that I want us to, to think about. We're, we're trying to be, I suppose, really realistic in the way we want people to process some of this stuff. This isn't about saying, OK, what changes this afternoon or what changes tomorrow? This stuff is much more about I want us to go away and ponder the things that we hear about Jesus and just sit with it. And, and consider it and wonder what would my life look like if I behaved, uh, if I took on some of those characteristics of Jesus and began to allow those to shape who I am. So there's two things I want us to, to consider um, as, as we kind of move forward this week. First one is in the story, as it unfolds, this this woman is brought in in front of all of the religious leaders. The law is basically read out and, and it's made clear this woman is in the wrong. Um, th- this is what should happen to her. What do you think? The question for us is if uh, if we imagine the story unfolding in front of us, the question I want us to consider is where would you be stood in that scenario? What would be happening for you in that scenario? Would you be a concerned onlooker? Would you be someone who would look at that woman being dragged in um, and being kind of condemned in front of all of those people with an awareness of, of what is the likely outcome? Would you be a concerned onlooker thinking, oh, man, I don't want this woman to be stoned to death? Is that, is that your perspective? Would you be looking on with compassion in that moment? Uh, would you be someone who actually uh, is sitting back enjoying the show, the drama, um the kind of um the, yeah well just the drama of the whole affair that this woman is is stupid she's she steps out of line she's clearly in the wrong she's been dragged in look at all these religious leaders having a big debate over it would you just be sat back enjoying the show not particularly immersed in it but but almost taking a bit of delight in the fact that there's there's a bit of drama to watch almost like watching jeremy kyle uh, that kind of that kind of drama um, is that so are we distant from it and just enjoying everything that's unfolding positive and negative in front of us or would you be someone who is wielding a rock who's got a rock in your hand and is, is throwing it up in the air waiting for the opportunity to throw it because the problem is that there are, there's probably times in our lives where we can look at we've sat in each of those roles at different points where there's someone who's really wronged you that's now suffering that you you've got a rock ready to throw because you've been waiting for this moment for that person to be found out um or or it might be that that you're not particularly involved in that but it's actually almost funny that this this kind of stuff's happening or are you someone who is 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 connected into those scenarios where you where you can have compassion and understanding and those kind of things. And I suppose the other question is, would we ever be prepared to be Jesus in that moment and stand alongside and say, actually, no, I'm, I'm not going to approve of this being the model. So that's one thing, one thing to think about. Uh, where would you be and, and how can you change and alter your position uh, to be more like what Jesus would do? And the second question uh, for us to ponder this week is what could you learn from Jesus' model of being a peaceful revolutionary? If Jesus decided to challenge society by using that opportunity in the way that he did, what could we learn and how could we begin to change our response and our approach to different scenarios where we we could probably really effectively challenge with gentleness, kindness, respect and compassion Challenge a system and a scenario and, a, um, and the momentum of, of, um, of a, a system by, by giving an alternative perspective that actually just makes people stop and think. Uh, and none of this stuff is easy. But the reality is if, if we want to be people who um, look a lot more like Jesus would be if he was in our shoes then these are the kind of ways we've got to start challenging ourselves and beginning to be uh, willing to ask some big questions. So let's pray. Father God, thank you um, for the life of Jesus. Thank you for um, so many examples of, of how he responded in situations and how we can change our response because of what Jesus did. I pray that you would... Um, nudge each of us this week in the things that we could improve and develop in our lives so that we do begin to um, resemble who Jesus would be if he was us. Because God, it, it seems so difficult at times to do that. But, but God, as we look at these characteristics, I pray you would be able to show each of us the different things in our lives that can be moulded and shaped and developed so that you could be so much more present in our character and in in our personalities and in our response and what we bring into scenarios that we walk into. So God, I pray that you guide us and that you just begin to to nudge us this week uh, and show us the things that we can change and improve. Amen.